0: Good morning, brothers and sisters, again. This past week, we uh, actually, we celebrated Anzac Day. Uh, It's a day to remember, and and this is not talking about politics or anything like this, but it's a day to remember the price that was paid for the freedom that we have here in Australia, when you think about it. It's a freedom that we take for granted in Australia, Uh, for example, the privilege to buy a home, a home privilege to gather in a place of worship like this and and share the realities of what God has done in our lives and the freedom to do so. We have the freedom to openly share biblical truth, whether it be on a street corner, whether it be in a high school. Uh, And whilst these freedoms are being restricted regarding us as Christians, think about the cost that was paid in order to give us such freedoms. Um, Things that I think we often forget. Because just for perspective's sake, I had a look at at the um, the archives of the Australian Army, uh, there were 416,000 men that enlisted in World War I and 60,000 were killed. 60,000 in New Zealand, probably you don't actually care about that, but uh, in, <laughs> in New Zealand they had 18,000 people killed in World War I. Um, which is just a horrendous amount. 156,000 Australian people were wounded, gassed, or taken prisoner during the First World War. And there was 41,000 wounded, gassed, or injured from New Zealand as well. The Second World War, there was 993,000 people. Now, Australia at that time was a population of about 1.5, 1.6 million people at that time. And so you had that many people enlisted, and of that, 27,000 people died. And you know why they died? Because they fought for freedom. You see, the freedoms that we experience here in this country is on the lives of the people that went before us, which we often forget. We often forget that this freedom came at a great cost. It was uh, built upon the lives of those who sacrificed and willingly gave their lives, in order to give us what we experience here today. See, they were denied their dreams. They were denied their hopes. They were denied their futures so that we might build a future upon their sacrifice. Now, that's the reason why we have this whole list we forget. We will remember them. It was a cost paid, which raises a factual reality about life. And I think it's a factual reality that we all forget that everything in life, both good or bad, costs. There is a price to be paid. There is a cost for us to receive something that benefits us, uh, like we have no problem paying for certain, certain food. I, I know Uncle Sun Link would travel ages and he'll pay the fuel cost to travel to go buy durian from some suburb that's ages away because he says it's worth it. Okay. We will buy certain homes in certain locations because of the benefit it has to us. There's a cost to it. But even things that are bad, consequences to dumb choices, there are costs that are paid. And we often forget this. We forget that everything costs. Everything has a cost. And as controversial as this sounds, even our salvation has a cost. There is a price for our salvation. Yes, salvation is free, but it costs Jesus his life. We Freedom and deliverance from sin for us is free, but it costs Jesus the complete wrath and judgment of God for sin to be placed upon him. So it's not free in the sense, really, because it cost God the very best he could give in his son, Jesus Christ. And so with such freedoms that are made available to us in our salvation, I think we often overlook the cost that is required from us to follow him. Two weeks ago, we looked once again, and we looked at that controversial, shocking statement when Jesus says, not all those who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And, and we're confronted with such things. We are told also that broad and wide is the gate that leads to destruction and, and narrow is the gate that leads to life and few there be that find it. So we start off at this point where the salvation we receive is free only to realize that in such freedom there is a cost that we need to pay and that we need to consider. The cost of what Jesus says about following Jesus. It's all about the cost of discipleship. So i want to open a word of prayer, and we're going to look at this from the Gospel of Matthew. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have given us in this country. Thank you for those who willingly sacrificed their lives to stand for the freedom of men and women because they're created in your image. Thank you for the lives that were given, and and, and now we enjoy the liberty to gather here and worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for your Son and how he too gave everything so that we might inherit all things too. And so as we look at your word this morning, I pray you will help us to hear from you and you alone. May I be your mouthpiece to clearly communicate the rich truths that are found within your word, especially when it comes to following you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus shares a sobering reality of what it means to follow him. And this reality centers on the fact that following Jesus is not something to be taken lightly. It is not entered into on a whim, nor is it entered into as a matter of convenience. It's something to seriously consider when you look at your life and your existence in connection to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ actually makes this statement in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 33. And this, there we go, thank you very much. This is something that we should really think about. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus is making a statement here about seriously counting the cost, considering things before you get into it, because previously to this particular passage, he talks about. In verse 26, about hating father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, your own life. If you don't do that, then you cannot be Jesus' disciple. What he's referring to there is priorities. He's not walking around saying, oh, you should hate your mum and hate your dad because we are told within the Scriptures to honor our parents. He's not talking about that. He's talking about priorities. What do you value? What do you consider more important? Because it's a necessity of prioritizing the things of God above the things of the earth. And, and you think about it. If you have mums or dads that don't know Jesus, the greatest priority or the greatest benefit that you can have to them is to share Jesus with them. There's nothing better. I remember when my mum became a Christian, I remember that's awesome because when my mum passed away several years ago, I know where she is now. So their eternal destiny, their eternal security can be benefited by you. But you see, if you're going to follow Jesus, such a cost needs to be considered because there is a complete change of values and of being of who you are in relation to who you were when you belonged to the world. Now, there's something I want you to bear in mind here. In 21st century Australia, when we look at changing our religions if you go from being say a catholic to a born again christian if you go from being a a say a presbyterian to being an anglican if you if you go from being say an atheist to a believer in jesus we look in terms of well that's just my change of religion When you look in Middle Eastern religions, when you look at the likes of, say, Judaism, if you look at Islam, if you look at Hinduism, even to an extent Buddhism, when you look at these religions and you share the gospel with them, it's not about them just changing a religion. Ravi Zacharias mentions this. He says it's about changing a complete identity. It's about changing your lifestyle. It's about changing everything that you are, which is important because if you have a Muslim or a Hindu or a Jewish person or a Buddhist that does not know Jesus, it's important that for you and I, as followers of Jesus, to pray for them, that their hearts will be of good soil, that when the word of God goes forth, it would take root, And so when we read about this sort of thing here, about counting the cost, when we look at what it means to to follow or being willing to follow Jesus, we need to seriously consider what is being asked of us. And this is what Nick referred to this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, we have given some amazing things. This is to provide a bit of context because we're going to look at verse 24. To provide a bit of context, the revelation of who Jesus is is proclaimed by Peter in verse 16. If you recall the story, Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're this, some say you're that. Who do you say that I am? And Peter stands with the bold proclamation of verse 16. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's an amazing thing. And then when Jesus receives that particular thing and expresses to Peter, yes, that's right, and upon this rock I will build my church on that particular reality. And then he shares this in verse 21, that he was going to suffer many things and die at the hands of the Pharisees. He shares that in verse 21. Now, Peter, being Peter, who is all action and no brains, he responds by saying, no. If you look in verse 22, it says, Peter takes Jesus to the side and says, these things cannot be so. And when it, th- this is like he's telling Jesus off. No, you can't do that. That's, that's not going to happen in which Jesus' big response is, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Why would such a harsh response from Jesus be called for? Because in verse 23 it says, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human conditions. Now, the reason why this is important to provide this context before we carry on is because we as people always look to see what we can get. We interpret things as to what most benefits us. We never see the big picture of God's plan or what God is working because this is what Peter's fault is here. He's saying, you are here to establish the kingdom. You are here to, to sit down in your kingdom and then we're gonna rule with you. You're not supposed to be dying. How is that gonna work? Why? Because Peter was thinking about himself and his immediate context. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because I know that's what I do when issues don't work out the way I want them to work out, when things don't happen the way I intend them to happen, when things happen to to be more difficult than what I expected it to be, that's me not seeing the bigger picture of God's work. That's not me sitting here saying, Lord, you not know what you're doing. This is what Peter's doing right now. And it's in this context that he shares this verse in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be, whoever wants to be my disciple, those two words, whoever wants, implies at the outset the idea of a choice. That there is a choice made available to us. You either want to, or you don't. There is no forcing of the issue. There is no coercion on Jesus' part. There's no extortion. He merely makes it known to all present, whoever wants this, if you want this, and this is the great challenge that puts the onus on the hearers. It puts the responsibility on me. It puts the responsibility on the disciples. If you want to be my... If you want this, if you want this... And it causes not only the disciples themselves, but causes me to evaluate and examine what I really want in my Christian life. It forces me to consider who I really want in my Christian life. Do I want just my own personal happiness, my joys, my reputation, in comparison to the option Jesus presents? Because he says, whoever wants to be my disciple whoever wants to be my disciple and and although it makes reference to following in this verse the type of follower Jesus is talking about here is different to the way many people interpret following because there can be many people that follow but nobody that commits you could be the people that follow like in John chapter 6 and then all turn away You can be the people that follow, but only for the purpose of condemning, like the Pharisees did in Matthew 26, verses 1 to 5. That's the only reason they followed. They wanted to have an accusation to throw against him. Or, and this is the one I can associate with the most, you can be like Peter in Matthew 26, verse 58, who followed Jesus after he was arrested at a distance. He was following Jesus, but far enough away so when people said, you know him, no, I don't. I saw you with him. No, no, no. I'm sure you're one of those. You're Galilean as well. That's not me. That's the most sort of type of following a lot of Christians, including myself, do. Following, just far enough to say I'm following, but when confronted, will say no. No. That's not me. So, there's a lot of people that follow. But Jesus is not looking for those sorts of followers. Because in the scriptures, we are told that Jesus, when he commissions us, is not to go into all the world and make followers. We're told to go into all the world and make disciples. And there is a vast difference between the two. You see, you can follow Jesus and not be a disciple. But if you are a disciple, there is nothing else you can do but follow. That's the reality of it. And to be a disciple means is that what you want, it means that takes secondary place to what he wants. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to follow. It means it's going to cost you. Now, I want you to bear in mind something. This is not talking about salvation. We've already established this is talking about people that are already saved, people that are already in a relationship with Jesus Christ, because that is free. The cost comes is what will it take for me to follow the way he has called me to. And that is what we're looking at today. So there are what I call three price tags, three price tags of the cost to following Jesus. There's our price tag. This is the cost at that first part, It said sale at the top. No, it's not a sale. It's not a deal. This is the reality of where it's at. Three price tags. As we unpack them, the challenge for us is to reprioritize our lives so that we won't be strapped for cash when it comes to paying the cost that discipleship requires. That we won't fall short of what's required of me. Have you ever done that? Okay, funny story. Have you ever gone up with your card to pay for something, denied insufficient funds? It's one of the most embarrassing things ever, especially when you've got a long line of people there, and then you're like, give the card, they put it in, beep! I'm sorry, it says insufficient funds. Oh, I'll try another card. You don't have another card. You're just like, oh man, what do I do now? Okay, but there's nothing more embarrassing than that. You don't want to be strapped for cash. Imagine in spiritual terms, that when God calls you, this is what I require from you as a disciple, and you fall short of that cost. That's, especially if we're living a life to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's pretty harsh. So, first price tag, self-denial. We're told in Matthew 16 that they must deny themselves. Now, we were told about this on Wednesday night by Pastor Lawrence, that there were two points shared from Galatians chapter 6.14 when he talks about boasting in the cross. That's what Paul says in Galatians 6.14, I will boast in nothing save in the cross of Christ. And he referred to two points, the two points. Who was there on Wednesday night They can tell me what the two points were, please? Sacrifice was one. The second one, self-denial. If I could have recorded that message, I just would have played it for you and that would have been Sunday's message and he didn't give me his transcript so I couldn't use it again. So that's a shame, all right? But sacrifice and self-denial, but there's a difference between the two sacrifice is about giving up something that is dear to you for the benefit of others sacrifice is willingly uh, sorry is is will, sacrifice willingly is usually an expression of love and of care and you see this in the person of Jesus 1 John chapter 4 verse 14 we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, John 3:16. for God so loved the world, supposed to be world, not words, sorry, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is what sacrifice is. It is for the benefit of others that you give up, something you hold dear, something you hold precious, something that will cost you, That's what it means to sacrifice. The difference between that and self-denial is self-denial is the refusal to receive, take, or acquire something that you really want because something else is far more important and far more dear to you. That's what self-denial is. it, It might even be deemed as beneficial, but you would much rather give it up for the sake of something greater in academic terms, it may be no denying the social interactions of work parties or uni gatherings for the purpose of more study. Go, Borkham Hills. In sports terms, In sports terms, it may be denying the various pursuits in order to reach a level of fitness that gives you an advantage on the field of play. In health terms, it might be denying various delicacies, food and drink, And indulging yourself because it could prove harmful to you in the long run. That's what self-denial is. In spiritual terms, it may be denying those things which interfere with your relationship with Jesus and the intimacy that he calls you to. It It may be something that might be good in and of itself, but has for you become a God or an idol within your heart. It might be the job where you're making lots and lots of money and yet you sacrifice time with your wife and with your children. It may be the the, the alone time that you have at the sake of destroying relationships with those around you. See the cost? See, you have to be willing to let things or refuse to take things on because you prioritize things as more important because God has called you to do so. It it might be, think about this, look at Daniel. Daniel in chapter 1, verses 8 to 16, when he was confronted with the delicacies of the king, him and his friends, and what did he say? He denied himself those rich, rich foods and drinks to partake of vegetables because he knew that's what God would have called him to do. And what happened? God honored him for that. You have a look at the courage of Moses who chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, Hebrews 11, verse 25. Or the boldness of Nathan to face off against an adulterous king and say to him, you are that man that committed this horrendous sin against God in 2 Samuel 12, 7. In spiritual terms, denying self is the cost required for the blessing and privilege of an intimate relationship with the Lord. It's the weighing up of what is of significance and what is of eternal significance. That's what needs to be done. And what I've discovered is that denying self is at its most difficult when I cannot see the greater context of the eternal benefit of such denial. Denying myself in, in layman's terms is hard because I really want something and I can't see the plan of God in it. And in that moment right then, it's me saying, Lord, I know you know what's better. I know you know what's good, but I still want it. And, and this is what we, are, what we are confronted with. See, sadly, our mindset is stuff like this. I'll eat all the gluten that I'm supposed to eat even though I'm allergic to it and I'll just deal with the consequences later. That's what we do. I'm going to eat so much unhealthy food I'm going to get fat and then I'll sort out my issues then. I'm going to say what I say to my wife no one is going to upset her and probably really hurt her but I'll ask her to forgive me afterward. That's our view of what self-denial is. Our view is I'm going to do it and then I'll clean up the mess after. Or something that might be very common. I'm going to commit this sin because God will forgive me. See, this, this is the attitude that we have. I'll make this shoddy deal. I'll deal with the legal ramifications afterward. If we could see and know and clearly understand what we are denying ourselves to and for, then such denial is embraced instead of burdened when you know and i know you've done this i know you have done this if you're dating if you're married and you're dating the things that you gave up why cuz you could see the greater picture of what'll happen oh yeah if i'm nice then my wife will do this for me now i'm not talking about manipulation that's different okay I'm talking about seeing the bigger scheme of things, seeing the bigger picture of things. Because when you, when you weigh this up, when you understand what you have in Jesus Christ, then you have no issue. Then you have no issue getting rid of these things that are temporary. We sing this. We sang this two weeks ago when I surveyed the wondrous cross where the whole realm of nature mind that we're an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. We have no issue with that. You look at this in the Gospels when Jesus talks about the pearl of great price. What did he do? He found in a field a pearl that was worth so much. He sold everything he had, everything to buy that field in order to attain that great pearl. See, so you have no issue denying yourself when you have and understand this pearl of great price that you have in the person of Jesus Christ. I was listening to a podcast and I, sh- I shared this podcast with Ali. A girl by the name of Ali Stuckey, she's a political commentator, but she makes this really, good, really interesting observation about this, this homo- same-sex attracted man, this homosexual man, and she says this, he was living an actively gay lifestyle, but I don't think he would have become a Christian if he didn't think there was something to it. If he didn't think it was worth it. He has seen the two alternatives, and he chose one direction. So he obviously thinks that one is more satisfying than the other. He got nothing out of, at least tangibly in this life, saying, okay, I'm going to give this up and become a Christian. So it does make you wonder, what is it about Jesus that would make one give up what they felt their identity was? This man was an actively gay individual partaking in a homosexual lifestyle who, when entering into a relation with Jesus Christ, chose to be celibate chose to deny himself, not because he's thinking, oh, look at what I'm missing out on. No, because he's thinking, look at what I have gained. Look at who, have I, look at, look at who I have gained. And he values this. Is it easy? No. No, it's not. But in comparison to, to what you could have, to what you have now in the person of Jesus Christ, there is no comparison. And this is what this man arrived at. And I think it's something, the the summary, this is a summary of not only the first price to pay of denying oneself, but also leads into the second. If you know what you have and who you have in Jesus Christ, and you value that, and you value that, then some of these harder decisions, as hard as they may be, will pay off in the long run, because as the Scripture teaches, to them that honor me, I am will honor and I was talking with a sister in church and she was sharing when she went to color one of the things, she's a single girl and she said "I, I discovered and was encouraged and invigorated in the fact that everything that I'm to be contented in and find my contentment in is in the person of Jesus Christ that he meets my needs in relationship that he is my all in all and I know I've shared this many, many, many years ago. But that, I remember that's what my wife shared with me. My wife shared with me, I, never, I was never attracted to you because of your looks. <sighs> I was attracted to you because you loved Jesus. And when you don't love Jesus, you're not attractive anymore. I know I should rejoice at that, but it still hurts. Okay, so... <laughs> I love that shit. Jono, Jono's like, man, she must love Jesus so much. must love Jesus so much. Okay. Thank you, brother. I'll, I'll wipe away that tear later. Okay, okay. But here's the thing. Okay, The denying of oneself also leads us to the second thought. For throughout the Scriptures, we read about putting off the old and putting on the new. We read about repentance and sanctification. We read about growth from babes in Christ to being mature in Christ. Or, as in this case is, the denying of self and the taking up of the cross. Taking up one's cross even in today's society, gives the implication of bearing a heavy burden, a problem, an issue, a matter that no one else can help you with. And thus, with heavy heavy hearts, we often respond, well, that's my cross to bear. That's my cross to bear. In a context such as this, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, it's almost a, I don't think it's that same idea that Jesus is communicating here, Because Jesus uses this imagery to communicate the seriousness and the demand that following Him, that's what cross-bearing actually requires and represents. It's an illustration for His disciples to see and understand what is connected to following Him. It isn't just going through the motions. It isn't just a, a, a... uh, uh, oh, okay, I can do this, or or something flippant. It's it's an all or in, it's, it's it's an all in mentality. It's like it's all or nothing, because this is what Jesus demonstrates here. See, at this point here, so he's been beaten, he's been scourged, he's about to get nailed. At any time, Jesus could have said, "That's it, I'm done. Don't worry about it. I I, I will call it quits." At any time, he could have done that. Right now, with him bearing his cross for you and I and for our sin, he's revealing to us, saying, "This is it. This is how much you mean to me. This is how much my Father loves you. I'm going all in, not half pie. Oh, half pie. Half pie is a um, half pie is a New Zealand phrase." Half pie is a New Zealand phrase. When something's done real shoddy, like a really bad job, or something's, oh, that's half pie, bro. That's half pie. This is what, yeah, sorry, sorry, there's a new, I taught you a new New Zealand phrase, half pie, okay? But that's, that's that. we don't serve a half pie God. We don't. For him, it was all or nothing. For him, it was everything. Um, I don't know what the push means, but yeah, it was like, yeah, playing poker, it's all in. I'm all in. At least, apparently, that's how Chris plays poker. <laughs> I'm all in, okay. But this is what this is what bearing the cross represents. Because in those days, this would have been a shock for his disciples to hear when Jesus says, "Deny themselves and take up their cross." Why? Because what the cross represented for them. What was the cross for them? A cross was bore by criminals. The cross represented judgment. The cross represented guilt. And so he says to them, this is what you are called to bear. That if you are going to go all in, this is how you will be viewed. The heavy cross that you take on your shoulders represents your complete commitment to be, to me. He submitted to the will of the Father completely so that in his submission, we could be saved to the uttermost. That was him going all in, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So for you and I, the idea of taking up our cross is not just about bearing a burden or being a follower of Jesus. It's about the depth of the cost that is required by me to follow him as a true disciple of his. Or as Paul puts it in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it represents. Okay. I saw a movie just recently, an Avengers movie. And they use this phrase often. You, you, you'll remember it if you've seen it, um, but they they, they 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 use this phrase, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And so you've got the whole storyline. I, I really enjoyed the movie, um, but number of times, I think it's about five times, no, four, they say, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. That's the all in. It's sort of like it's all or nothing. That's that mentality that's communicated in the movie. And yet for many of us, including myself as a Christian, We don't have that same mentality. We don't have the Lord, whatever it takes, use me. Lord, whatever it takes, grow me. Lord, whatever it takes, save this person that you've connected me with. We don't use that, do we? Lord, we we say this, Lord, whatever it takes, as long as it's convenient. Lord, whatever it takes, in an hour, I can do something then. Lord, whatever it takes, as long as it doesn't make me look stupid. Lord, whatever it takes, as long as people still like me at the end. Lord, whatever it takes. That's the way we pray about things. That's the way I pray about things. But the denial of oneself and the taking up of one's cross means that it really isn't all or nothing where you and I, as the Scriptures teach, are to die to self because we're living for someone who is far greater? You see, if you ever noticed that taking up something like this is actually difficult for us to do because we don't see the value in it. Uh, in one Peter chapter two, I believe it says, "Unto you, therefore, that believe, Jesus Christ is precious." Um, I think a lot of us don't actually see him as precious. We may say whatever it takes in our hearts uh, when confronted with the complacent, comfortable Christianity of the 21st century, uh, our first world problems in the church today, only to discover that such cross-bearing is actually quite trivial in the bigger scheme of things. Um, We don't like to be laughed at. We don't like to be mocked. But as the example of our Lord Jesus Christ who went all in, That is the example that he calls us to when he says to take up our crosses. That we are to not only deny ourselves, we are to take up our cross and that third price tag, follow Jesus. Now this is the type of following that is born from denying self and bearing up a cross. For when this occurs willingly in the life of a believer, then following is the only option that makes sense. I remember this, 2008, when I first spoke at at the youth, or it might have been, been church. The illustration of following, what does it mean to follow someone? Following means trusting them, trusting where they're going, trusting in the direction, trusting in their guidance. Um, if for those of you who are who, who have been with, well, who've known me from the beginning of, and, and my interaction with Grace Christian Church, we, we went on a bushwalk years ago to a place called Big Rock. This is out at Wiseman's Ferry. And that's what's required. It was me trusting in the guy leading me, whose name was Jim Dugan. And he was telling me along the way, you make sure you keep the ravine on your right on the way there and on your left on the way back. If it's around the other way wrong, then you're going in the wrong direction. We go this way, we go that way. There wasn't actually a a pathway that we could follow clearly. But in following him, because I understood that he knew where he was going and he knew what he was doing, we reached Big Rock. And then we got back safely as well in following Jim, who knew what he was doing. That meant for me to trust him. That meant me to rely on him. You want a failure in a bushwalk? Me and Craig. Craig. At the camp we had, out at, uh, in the last church camp we had, we were on a bushwalk. Some people went ahead of us, and there was a whole group of us. We, uh, do you remember the bushwalk we had? It was disgusting. And so I'm following Craig. He's like, oh, I don't know where I'm going. So then he sort of slows down, lets me pass them. I don't know where I'm going. So it's, we're literally the blind leading the blind. So he did this. He did this. He said, let's have a look on Google Maps. And you know what he found? He found this massive picture of a forest with a little blue dot saying, You're here. (laughs) That was it. That was useless. But you see, this is the option to follow my way, that's the blue dot in the ocean of forest, or we follow Jesus' way, which gets us to where we need to be going. That's the difference. That is where joy is experienced. That is where hope is secure. That is where assurance is gained because we're relying on Jesus and His wisdom. When you look at the likes of this, Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6 said, as we follow, we are confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Why? Because when we get up, like he did in Matthew 4, 19, when he said, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. As we follow, he continues his work. As we follow, he brings that work to completion in us. As we follow, the problem is this. Our following involves this. Yeah, you go ahead, Lord, and we sit down. You go ahead, Lord, you show me what you want, and I'll get up and follow you when it's convenient for me or it's something that I like to look off. That's what we do. There is no denial of self. There is no bearing of one's cross. There's not even any following. This is the attitude of Peter who followed from a distance. That is us. But it doesn't have to be, because this is what Jesus invites us to. In today's world that talks about you doing what you do to feel good, doing what you do to to help you get along and and all that sort of stuff, the cross of Christ is completely countercultural, which says to you, you know, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow. That's why in Matthew chapter 8, I like this, In Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 to 22, we read this, that a teacher of the law, this is the cost of discipleship from Matthew chapter 8, a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Just an observation here. When we hear somebody wants to follow Jesus, we would jump on it straight away. Oh, let's pray this prayer Let's bring you into a relationship with Jesus. Let's get you into church, get you into a Bible study. There's no counting the cost here, but that's why Jesus shares what he shares. When this teacher of the law comes to him, I'll follow you. Whatever it is, whatever it takes, I will follow. What does he say? In terms of security, I've got nothing. There's, you're not going to receive any earthly riches or any earthly security. I don't have that. See, foxes have dens. You know, Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So when you come after me, you know what you get? Me and me alone. That's it. Whether he follows, I don't know. Then you've got the second guy. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now, just as a matter of context there's one commentator that says that the disciple's father was most likely still alive. It was common practice in those days that um, a commitment was made by the children to honor their parents and to look after their parents. And so there wasn't—it's it had nothing to do with the dad actually being dead and burying him. It was just, I want to hang around with my dad to fulfill a particular requirement, and then I'll do it. Once again, it was talking about priorities some suggest a disciple may have used an expression used for putting things off let me wait until my father reaches the end of his life which by the way could be years from now so the issue that arises for us when we look at how this call is how this call is to discipleship and the cost that it has we are given these things This is the price that we are called to pay as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the price of self-denial, of bearing a cross, and of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus is not all sunshine and rainbows, nor will it necessarily be smooth sailing with the privilege of being a devout Christian. If the cost for my acceptance by God came at the expense of Jesus' life, of Jesus' crucifixion, of Jesus becoming my sin sacrifice, then to live like Jesus means that there'll be a cost that I'm called to pay as well. Thus, the importance for us to spend time looking at, knowing, and understanding what we have been given what we have been invited to and what has been done to give us such insight. The reason being, reason being, if you look in verse 25, it says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. In the economy of God, our relationship with Jesus, our lives are only successful, are only of benefit when that is given away. Now, we think this is really weird. How can you give something away? How can you lose something to actually gain it? J.H. Jowett, actually uh, an old school writer, makes this observation. He says, there are a lot of things in life that we have that we actually give away to experience the fullness of it. Love is one. He says, love is one. You give love away. You love on others because if you don't love on others and you love only on yourself, then you become arrogant and proud and self-aggrandizing. That's what happens with love when it's focused on yourself and kept to yourself. The gospel. The gospel is only of benefit when it is given. It benefits you as you share the gospel because you claim God's promises in sharing it and it blesses the people you're giving it to, especially not only if they come to know Jesus, but the fact that the gospel seed has been sown. Friendship. Another thing that you go, you expose yourself, make yourself vulnerable in the effort to build a relationship with someone else and you benefit from it as you give yourself out. Our lives, our lives that are lived in self-denial and cross-bearing And in following Jesus, it is only then, it is only then we will truly experience the fullness and the abundance of what Jesus Christ has promised us. I guess then the onus falls on me. Uh, To quote J. Oswald Sanders, He said, you are only as close and as intimate to God right now as where you choose to be. And this is the cost of discipleship. This is the cost of following Jesus. And is it a cost you're willing to pay? I'm going to ask the music team to come up. We're going to close with our last song. After that song, I'll close in prayer, and our prayer team will come up after as well, because we would love to pray for you. That if there are things in your life that you have harbored or held, if there are things in your life that are preventing you from denying yourself, from bearing your cross, or even from following Jesus, then maybe we can pray about that. Maybe if you don't want to come up and be prayed for in this area, maybe you can pray and ask God to reveal to you where these things are, where these obstacles are, where these hindrances are. Because we are told within the Word of God that Jesus has promised to give us life and life in abundance. Problem is, we live our Christian lives as if we're in a famine. I pray that we will have the abundant life and desire that abundant life because I'll tell you what, you ask and He'll give.
1: There's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing, No turning back. I've been set free. And this hope will never fail Heaven is our home Through every storm My soul will sing Jesus is here To God be the glory Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. No turning back The cross before me The world behind me No turning back No turning
0: thank you that you are more than enough that our sufficiency our completeness is in you and is in you alone i pray that we as your people as we leave here this day will take into serious consideration and count the cost of what it means to follow you and to follow you the way you have called us to not to follow you the way we want or at a distance father i pray we as your people will take seriously what you have given us in your son jesus christ May we truly represent you. May we truly deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. So grace, Christian churches, we leave here today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Because our Father, our Prince of Peace, has given that to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to be prayed for today, we would love to pray for you this morning. We'd love to pray for you. So long.